So, as I pointed out last time, um, Paul goes to the uh, the Old Testament to prove or demonstrate or illustrate righteousness by faith alone in the life of Abraham. And that's so interesting when you think that so often we Christians mistakenly divide up the Bible as the law in the Old Testament and grace in the New. That the fact that Paul um, appeals to the life of Abraham and the experience of Abraham in regard to faith means that we, many of us, have been misreading the Old Testament for years. The message of the Old Testament is as much grace as it is in the New Testament, except that the full revelation of that grace in Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, is revealed. But it is a a sobering realization that Paul should appeal to the Old Testament to uh, make it clear that God saves people by faith alone. And uh, that makes us realize, well... I'd better start rereading the Old Testament. I'd better start trying to understand what it's really saying. So, you see, this is, uh, to go by summary a little bit, uh, what Paul is saying in the first part of Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? You know, what did he get from the flesh, uh, from his natural humanity? What did he contribute to his salvation? For if Abraham was justified by works... That is, if he was declared innocent by the good behavior that his natural humanity could produce, then he has something to boast about, but certainly not before God. And then uh, verse 3 says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, that word accounted is absolutely crucial here. It was considered as, it was treated as, it was charged to his account. What was charged to his account? Righteousness. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. What Believed what about God? Believed that God was being merciful and kind to him and uh, was um, uh, giving him his grace. And that was counted to him for a righteousness. Obviously, it wasn't righteous. His, his faith was not a righteousness. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been accounted to him as a righteousness. But it was, and that indicates that it was a gift from God. And then Paul says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. In other words, you see, if Paul had, if Abraham had been working for his righteousness, God would not have said it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, that's tremendously revealing. It tells us that that is how God deals with us. He loves us. He picks us out. He, uh, we have no worthiness that we should uh, appeal to him. But it is, his hum- it is his loving nature. It is the nature of his love to reach out, to have mercy, and to help people. Then Paul goes on to say this, But to him who does not work, well, let's get the connection again with verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, that is, doesn't try to contribute his behavior and his performance and his uh, integrity and honesty and sincerity, 
doesn't try to contribute all of that to his salvation, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Boy, this is a loaded uh, verse here in verse 5. To him who does not perform human rituals or um, offers his up his behavior and how well he's doing to God for salvation, but believes on him who justifies, believes, trusts, hangs its, uh, one's whole weight upon God who justifies, that is, declares innocent the ungodly. Just pause at that. God declares innocent the ungodly. Now, years ago, I used to believe that God would declare innocent the truly repentant, the truly sincere, the truly surrendered. But then, of course, you see, after a long time of believing that, you wonder to yourself, well, am I truly repentant enough? Am I truly sincere enough? Am I truly dedicated or earnest enough? And the answers, of course, to that are always no, aren't they? Because even when we repent, we sense that we haven't got down to the core of repentance, or we change our mind after a few days or weeks or months, and uh, it just doesn't seem to work that we are justified declared innocent by our earnestness and our repentance. But look, he justifies the ungodly. So we can ask, well, am I truly ungodly enough? <laughs> That's a different question, isn't it? Not am I truly repentant enough, but am I truly ungodly enough? Do I accept that God justifies, declares innocent, ungodly people who have faith in him. That's the issue. And remember also then that the faith that we have is a gift from God in the first place. It's not a human contribution. You see, we're always trying to get round this by contributing something of our own works. Well, surely we've got to contribute something. No, we don't. God comes to us in our most unexpected moments and reveals himself. I know when when I was a 15-year-old boy, he revealed himself to me at a meeting that I thought was a meeting on flying saucers. I had heard, uh, saw an advertisement in the, uh, in the newspaper, Man from Another World. And I thought, oh, that's about flying saucers. I'll go to that. I was always interested in flying saucers in those young boy days. And Lo and behold, this man in a black suit, collar and tie, holding a Bible, stood up and started preaching from the Bible. I thought, what's he, what's he got a Bible for? And there weren't many people there. Most of them were elderly. There were about 40 people in this meeting. It was not in a church. It was in a cafe. And um, I was the youngest one there. Felt quite out of place. But when this man started talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, my heart was fully persuaded. I could sense the presence of God, the joy of God, the good news about God immediately. Now, you see, that was God revealing himself to me. I didn't contribute anything to that. 
And that's how it is. You may say, well, I contributed. I was searching all the time. No, <laughs> you think you were the one initiating the search. The fact is that God put hunger in you through his Holy Spirit to create a desire in you to search. And so, you see, God is the initiator. I've said this so many times. Remember Peter, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. God makes it clear to us who Jesus is. And that is the making clear by faith. We wouldn't know it otherwise. His miracles, we'd still deny them. And so, you see, to him who does not work or contribute anything to his salvation, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, that is, declares innocent the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, I say to you, God declares, justifies the ungodly. What is your struggle? Your struggle may be depression. Your struggle may be loneliness. Your struggle may be anxiety. And then it may be addictions like drugs or alcohol or food issues or, het or sexual, uh, uh, heterosexual or homosexual addiction. And these struggles are so deep within you, you haven't yet been able to conquer them. You have found yourself wicked so very many times, and uh, you've dedicated yourself to God so very often, but have failed so very often equally. And you just are in a state of despair, because you believe that God only justifies, declares innocent, the people who are innocent, for goodness sake. That's logic, isn't it? But you see, here we are faced with a reality that is completely counterintuitive. God does not justify or declare innocent the godly. He declares innocent the ungodly. Well, that's you, isn't it? That's me. That gives us room to maneuver. That gives us space to trust in God and to believe in him. God justifies the ungodly. So you come before God and you say, Father, I am so sorry that I have not yet overcome this or that, and I have not overcome my worry and anxiety, and I so often act as if you were not there in your universe governing things. And Father, also, I have all this addiction and I haven't overcome it yet. Oh God, please be merciful to me. Lord, I'm hanging on to this verse, chapter 4, verse 5 of Romans, that you justify the ungodly. Father, I am an ungodly man. Please declare me innocent as I trust in you. But how does this work? How does God possibly justify the ungodly? Well, you see, Paul is showing through the life of Abraham, and rather will show through the life of Abraham as we pursue this chapter, that a sacrifice has been made. Well, I won't say he moves, he shows that to Abraham fully, except through the sacrifice, near sacrifice of his son as a substitute, and God, then uh, Abraham saw a lamb caught in the thicket and sacrificed him in the stead of his son. That might have been a revelation to Abraham, I think. But, Abra but Paul is using the story of Abraham's faith to show how our faith works, and he is, of course, recalling what he said all about God 
uh, being the propitiation, he appeased his own wrath, he took his own judgment upon himself, he justifies freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so this justifying the ungodly means that Christ became the ungodly one for us. It's a shocker, isn't it? Christ, the righteous, innocent one, became the ungodly one for us. And it is in him you trust. That's where the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, in verse 22 of this chapter, the righteousness of God is revealed, even the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's faithfulness to God is our righteousness. He has done something for us that we could not possibly do and certainly failed to do. And that is why we as ungodly men and women can trust. And so we keep trusting. You say, well, does that make a difference to my behavior in the long run? You bet it does. In time, you will see that when you're down and you failed, you can say, Father, I thank you that my righteousness is in Christ, not in myself. I thank you that I'm still counted as a righteous man or woman. And as you are counting that to yourself and reckoning to yourself, your mind begins to be uplifted. It begins to be positive. It begins to be thankful. And it begins to praise. And what do you think? The happy, positive heart is where victories are won. Well, thank you for listening to me today. This is Colin Cook, and you've been listening to my program, How It Happens. You can hear the program on your smartphone or other remote device by downloading a free app, soundcloud.com or Spotify or podbean.com, and key in How It Happens with Colin Cook when you get there. If you'd like to make a donation, please do. You can make it online at faithquestradio.com or you can send your donation to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Your donations are so important because it's listener-supported radio and you've supported it now for nearly 26 years. Thank you so much. See you next time then. Cheerio and God bless. <music> 